I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Sonanto Walker here with Melanie Van. We're doing an Empowered Empath show and uh, we're going to start doing these more. We know you love these shows and we just get busy running this network. Uh, Mental Health News Radio Network is a lot of work that we love, but we get busy and just like we're going to talk about in this show, we as empaths forget to do the things that nurture us. And believe me, these shows nurture us just as much as we hope they nurture you. So Melanie, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much. (laughs) And uh, tonight we're going to talk about managing your emotions. That's a hot topic, definitely something that empaths need to be careful of. Uh, We're like horses in that way. We're highly sensitive regardless of some of us are super, super, super sensitive. And some of us are, you know, all of us are highly sensitive. So um, learning how to manage our emotions is a really, really good thing. So Melanie, what do you, what do you say about that starting that off? Well, first of all, I love that you are now making horse references. If our listeners don't know, (laughs) Kristen now has her own horse, which is wonderful and amazing and uh, will be a a great learning journey for her and the horse as well. So congratulations. Thank you. And they're (laughs) boarded with your horses. Yes, they are. A little herd going on there, which is awesome. Yes, yes. It's exciting. Secondly, I think managing emotions for empaths can be extremely difficult because, number one, we are so sensitive like horses, so we oftentimes pick up on everyone's emotions, whereas someone that's not necessarily an empath that is just has themselves to worry about, uh, empaths typically have everyone else in the room to worry about, <laughs> and that's typically what we do. So we're absorbing a lot of people's feelings, and oftentimes it makes it difficult to really understand what our feelings are, because it's just in our nature to put others first. And so I think that's why it's so important as an empath to manage who you choose to keep company with, uh, because even if you have appropriate boundaries, 
as an empath, I still think that sometimes that you can't help it. It's who you are. Um, And so you are literally going to feel what the other person is feeling sometimes. And that that's just how it is. So um, I think we, you know, just need to be aware of, of who we keep company with. And the other part is, is just having uh, self-awareness of, of what our emotions can do for us. Yeah. I think oftentimes we feel overwhelmed. We don't know what to do with it. It's very typical of impasse not to know what to do with anger or to be uncomfortable with that feeling. Um, and so I think just understanding and, and having a better understanding of how your emotions can be a gift to you instead of it always overwhelming you. And I think Uh, You know, there's so much research out now and it's such a trendy word right now that's mindfulness. But I think just with some mindfulness, we can really start to better understand ourselves so that this gift that we've been giving of being an empath can be used for something good. So those are my initial thoughts. Absolutely. And I think I've had people really try to convince me that the word empath is a bad word and that means that you're somebody that just evacuates yourself completely for other people and while being an unhealthy empath has components to that for sure I don't believe that that word is a bad word I think it's a gift and I know for me go doing these shows, talking to all the people that I've talked to, you know, working with Melanie, working with my counselor, doing all the things that I do um, and saying no and practicing extreme self-care, things like that. I am now able to remember to tell myself when I'm feeling overwhelmed or when someone is in my life and they really aren't my friend and I've we're going to talk about this too, but they show me how much they're not my friend and I get it and I need to pull away from them. It's so much easier for me now to immediately go, okay, breathe. Any emotion that's hanging around in my head or in my heart or in my, just in my system that doesn't belong to me, leave immediately. I used to never say that. I didn't even have the awareness to say that. And now I immediately know I don't feel good. Something feels really off. Um, It's okay because, you know, I know, okay, I'm going to go talk about this. I'm going to do all the things I do to practice self-care. But there's that extra step that I now remember to say, ooh, okay, (laughs) go away, be gone, other person's energy. I don't want to carry it around. It belongs to you and get out of here and be very, you know, confident in that, that it's going to leave because I said leave. And there were many years where, you know, I practiced this and I had to do it again and again and again, because I really didn't have the confidence. Even myself didn't believe myself (laughs) 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 to let go of it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm like, uh, 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 get out. Yeah. Well, everyone has the right to make a decision in their lives, period. Everyone has the right to make decisions to in relationships. Everyone has that right. If it's something and and it's it's a it's a play, it's a push and pull. 
Um, if someone is just toxic, then it's probably best that you just don't involve yourself a lot with that person. Doesn't mean you have to be mean to them. It doesn't mean you have to completely cut them off. It just means that you'll have right. little, you'll have very little communication with them. You'll only communicate when you have to. And when you do communicate, you're going to have really strict boundaries. Um, and even at that, you're still probably going to feel some of that toxicity. But I think so often as empaths, when we meet people that are like that, we we want to help them. We want to make them better. We want to be able to make them happy or we want them to have peace um, because any anything outside of that just doesn't it doesn't feel good to us. And so we want to do and it's our it's our nature to give to others and and to sacrifice ourselves that we're the burden carriers of society. Right. And, and there's has to be those types of people. But if you're going to be a successful, quote, burden carrier, um, you've really got to learn how to just like we were saying, manage manage your feelings. So number one, everyone has the right to end relationships that are not healthy for them. It's not selfish. It's It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you uh, an unforgiving person. It just means that whoever this person is in your life is is not giving to you in a way that is productive. And and we all have times in our life where we run into people like that. And you you just have the right to say, you know what, I really don't like that person. And that is completely okay. <laughs> you don't have to sit, you don't have to be the nice person. You don't have to be the one nice person where everyone else just can't stand whoever the person might be. You don't have to be that one, that one person. You can, you know, think about it as maybe you can role model to them ways to be nicer or just say a little prayer behind their backs or just try to try to be calm when you do communicate with them so they're not constantly met yeah. with hostility. And and that's where it ends. Like there's nothing else that you need to do. Um, I mean, quite frankly, unless you're a clinician and you get your your job is to is to help people like that that you don't have to do that in everyday life with people that are just not nice you don't have to do that and 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 every every counselor or clinician knows that you have clients sometimes that just aren't your favorites and but you know you're getting paid for it and it's your job and you're going to try to help them have self-awareness and keep appropriate boundaries but when that's that's not what you're getting paid to do, then you do not have to stick around in those relationships. Exactly. And another thing that we tend to do when we have unresolved trauma, especially if we're an empath, um, but anyone with unresolved trauma, we can also go way in the other direction. And we can immediately think, you know, that, oh, there's evil lurking around every corner. We need to be so careful. Everyone's a sociopath, um, uh, you know, just living in fear. and it doesn't need to be that way. That's part of the healing process. So there is nothing wrong with that stage. It's a necessary part. It's you being in hyper alert mode because you have been attacked. But know that there's another road that comes after that where people will come in, they show you who they are eventually. And you, instead of immediately going to red alert, DEFCON 1, 5 alarm chili, you can just go, ooh, okay, this is red flag number five, really don't like it, didn't see this before, I'm not going to bash my head in because I didn't see it, because, you know, it takes time. Listen, that does. people, narcissists are freaking good at what they do, especially covert ones. It Sometimes it takes, you know, 
uh, you can have a loose acquaintance with someone and you have no idea how they really are until you spend more time with them or you work with them or something in the relationship changes to where you see their covert op. And, and, at, and you may have known them for a while, but now you're in this new dynamic and you see, oh, this is how they are. This is how they've been with many other people in that same kind of dynamic before you. And you don't have to, um, you know, you can walk away and end the relationship, but you don't have to be afraid and you don't necessarily have to end the relationship. You can just way back off for your safety. Yes. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. And I think that's just, it's just smart living. It's its being emotionally responsible. There's a couple of yeah. things that are, that are coming to my mind. And, and that is, I've, I've read several articles lately. No, the audience gets tired of hearing me say I read articles, but it's part of my job. It's Wonderful my job that, that I get paid articles. to do. And so... <laughs> I read a lot of articles that say that you can become an empath from going through trauma. And I think hmm. to an extent that's true or like childhood emotional, emotional neglect or someone that has an alcoholic parent that that can actually turn kind of turn you into an empath because you come hypersensitive to your environment to stay safe. Yeah. And so that can kind of turn you into a, an empath. But I, I challenge that because I think you're born an empath. I mean, I think, you know, you're, it's just like your personality trait. It's, it's that INFJ. It's that those are the sensitive people of society. You are born with a certain temperament. And then some people are born with a temperament and they're highly sensitive people, which means you actually have more nerve endings than, than quote, normal people do. And, and of course, you're going to experience senses different than other people. And so I, I actually think that, because think about it, think about large families or think about societies that go through horrific traumatic events or families that go through horrific traumatic events and one sibling will come out relatively healthy. Of course, there are going to be some scars and then the other sibling will not be able to make it through life without becoming an mm -hmm. addict, without having destructive behavior. And, and my theory would be is that becoming that- Right. That sibling is the one that was an empath from the beginning. You know, it's that mm -hmm. age old question. Well, why do some people go through things and it doesn't really seem to face them? And then other people go through things and it destroys their life. Well, I think it's because 
the the setting is already there. The the DNA is is already there. They're already hypersensitive. And then being in trauma and having a parent that may be abusive would just make you even more hypersensitive. <laughs> and right. you know, and 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 so I I, I challenge. I, I just would be interested to talk to some folks about that. And then the other pieces is, um, you know, you mentioned the word narcissism, and we've talked about this on the show before because we talk about narcissism a lot. And I've shared on the show before that as a clinician, sometimes after shows, I sit back and I think, you know, I'll say things like those people, these people. And when I do that, I'm talking (laughs) about narcissists, okay? And, and, and so I hate to, to generalize because as a clinician, my core belief is that everyone has the capacity to be healed. If I did not believe that about people, I would be a really crappy therapist, right? And so mm-hmm. there's this big piece, piece of me that sometimes I'm like, is that, you know, is that really the way I should feel about it? But yet I've had these experiences with narcissists in my life. I'm a clinician. I can certainly diagnose it. And I, I know the outcome. So saying that, I just wanted to thank uh, a recent guest on our show, Christina Hallett, which you were mm. very fond of that came on the show. And she taught a workshop that I took a couple of weeks ago on personality disorders and treatment of personality disorders. And you never know what someone is going to say. You know, I got these extra workbooks that you could pay extra to get, and it has a bunch of worksheets in it about personality disorders and, you know, how to treat and how to make them less reactive and this, that, and the other. And if narcissism is one of those. And so right at the opening of, of the conference, of the workshop, she names off all of the personality disorders, and then she pauses. And she says, and then to me, this is in a completely different (laughs) category. There's narcissism. (laughs) And she's like, and for the most part, you there, there's just very little healing when it comes to them. So it's kind of affirming to me that she said that because I oftentimes, if we're talking about mental illness and we're a mental health advocacy network, and access yeah. to diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder is a mental illness. That That's a mental mm-hmm. illness. So who am I to judge what's harsher than the other? It's a chronic mental illness, um, and most personality disorders are. And I think most people kind of see, you know, a chronic schizophrenic adult maybe, uh, you know, less able to function in society than someone with a major depressive episode. But overall, I, I still often question myself as, as a believer and, and then also just as a clinician that believes in people. Can you really put people in that category? Can you really say there's them. no getting exactly them yeah. and there's that there's that they can't be helped? And I mean, I, I just the, the more I delve into this work that we do every day, the more I truly believe that there are some people that are just they've, they've just got black hearts. They just do. And when you, when you're dealing with narcissism, you're typically also dealing with, um, amygdala that is, which is part of your brain that is smaller. 
It's literally mm -hmm. smaller, which is where a lot of your compassion and things like that come from. And they just don't have it. They just don't have it. And so I think it takes a lot of work for, for, for a narcissist to, I think it can happen if the narcissist is going to do the, is going to do the work. But the problem is they don't yeah. go to the office because they don't think they have a problem. They go to the office because their spouse or their sibling or their mother or father has a problem, not because they have a problem. So I think that's part of the issue is that their core belief is, is that they don't have any problems and that everyone else has the problem. And so that's, that's part of the difficulty of, of treating it. So I, I just, you know, wanted to clarify Absolutely. that as we as we talk about these, um, as we talk about these things and how impasse relate to what many people say is on the opposite end of the spectrum of who they are. Um, right, exactly. I mean, We've heard a lot right. of people say two sides of the same coin, impasse exactly. and narcissist. And, you know, yes. to a certain degree, that's true. I understand and the statement. I understand, I understand the, the statement too. And yep. we've, you know, we've evolved in our ideas about things two, three years yes, ago. I would have never said that there's the possibility that narcissists could be helped. And now I'm like, you know, that's why as a, as a network that is about mental health, we are going to have people like Wendy Beharry come on and do a show who, and she does treat narcissists. Now, even she says, look, if we're talking about a sociopath or we're talking about malignant narcissism, yeah. I don't think that those people can be helped. Okay. Even I yeah. who treat mostly narcissistic men, she says that herself. So, yeah. you know, we're, we're, we're trying to be more compassionate and be more, which is our nature anyway, it's what gets us into trouble with these people. Exactly. <laughs> and the endless compassion. Um, and also it, we're trying to be more empowering about it because I'll tell you what isn't helpful, and I, I went through this stage um, too, but it isn't helpful to have anyone tell you, oh, you got another one in your life. Well, you're attracting them. You attract narcissists. That helps no one. That is shaming and blaming. And here's reality, folks. This, this is, I stand in a firm belief that this is the truth for me. They exist. You're going to bump into someone with narcissistic personality disorder or high spectrum narcissism all the time, especially when you are out in the public like I am, right? You're just going to because they exist. Why are we in an epidemic? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and so it's not about, oh, you attract them. It's, it's about how do you deal with them? as they come into your life. So is there a point with this where I learned, yeah, I was letting a lot of them come in. They take <laughs> a bite of, and they latch onto my carotid artery and I let them because of trauma, because of my own self-esteem issues, because I was raised by them. So their behavior seemed normal to me, even though horrific, all those things, I let them stick around and draw a lot of blood to the point where I was depressed most of my life. Was that me attracting them? No. That was me, though, being a sitting duck for the ones that walked in and they knew that they could latch on and make a meal out of me. Absolutely. 
they still come in. They still try to latch on. The difference is now, you know, I'm wearing a collar that I put on myself that emits, screw you, I'm not a good meal for you. <laughs> and they don't, they don't, um, I'm not tasty anymore because I worked on my wounds. I keep working on my wounds. And any time someone, one of them does get a bite in some way, you bet your ass I'm in therapy about it. I'm talking about it. I'm like, what do I need to work on and look at myself? But the one thing I'm never doing anymore is shaming myself for them being there ever, ever, ever. That does no one any good, especially you. Yeah, it it doesn't. I mean, as long as you're actively uh, doing the work, then I mean, there's really there's there's nothing that can be can be said to that. And there are just certain personality types that attract narcissists. They seek you out. They seek you out. So of course, there's going to be more in your life because you know, in a in a, a room of twenty people, most malignant narcissists or or people that truly have the diagnosis of NPD are going to be able to be in a room of 50 people and going to pick out the two in there that they're going to be able to lead. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're looking for, for secondary or they're looking for, for low grade supply that they have no respect for whatsoever. And then they're looking for prime grade A. Now I've been low grade supply. We all have. I'm telling you right now, every single person listening to this show has been low-grade supply at one point in your life, and you probably didn't even know it because, and it didn't mean that you had any horrible um, conflict with this person. Maybe you didn't even know them well enough or long enough to realize who they really are, but you were a low-grade supply for somebody at some point. And I've been, you know, grade A top choice supply because of all the things that, you know, I do love about myself. I'm compassionate. I'm smart. I um, cheerlead people. I'm very forgiving. I make great things happen and I know how to, you know, make money and do advocacy and all these good, good, good things because they really look for people that are really good people because, that they especially covert ones because then they can hide behind that and they can be associated with you and ride your coattails and they're very lazy people so they they don't want to actually have to do the personal work that it takes to be successful be you know whatever but they'll try to siphon it off of somebody else and have your shine make them look brighter uh, that's what they do. And I'm not saying that to say, you know, I'm not saying that to be egotistical. That's just reality. That's what they try to do. And, you know, it takes a while and, and takes certain situations for you to realize, okay, someone's doing this. Got it. They're, they pretended they're my friend. They really don't know how to be a friend in any way, shape or form. And they jumped in my boat because I know how to sail one safely, successfully, and they're actually in the back drilling holes in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is definitely a covert narcissist for you. Oh, um, on your, yes, in your boat and drilling holes in it. That is that is perfectly said, because in reality, when you turn your back, so, 
Oh yeah, yeah. that's what they do because they're pathological envy. They're pathologically envious of you, and so although they want to ride your coattails, it kills them. They you know, they're you such. Oh yeah, they're such dualistic in, individuals, and that really, I mean, think about it. Narcissists many times come off with big personalities with kind of flamboyant and outgoing personalities and they see someone right. like us that also has a gregarious personality or yep. something that really stands out about to. you yep. but we're authentically that that's who we are <laughs> that's who we are now, there are a lot of things I don't like about myself but I would never in a million years call myself boring there's a lot of, you know, right. I struggle with depression and anxiety. I've, I've shared that on the show. I can, you know, I've, I've had lots of issues, but, but for the most part, I mean, I would just never call myself boring. I, I don't, I, I've said, I, I just wouldn't. And so, but of course they're attracted to you when you're like that, because that's who they try to be. That's their mask. And it's a, it's constant, it's draining for them to have to be that all the time. So if they can just latch on to you and get in your boat, then, you know, I, of course, they don't have to row as hard. They don't have to, they don't, yeah, exactly. Rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing and they're, and as long as you're taking them with you and you are um, cheerleading them and you are giving them sufficient supply, they're going to keep, you know, they're going to stay in that boat and they're not drilling holes yet. But the moment that you put up a boundary and because you don't like some way that they've behaved, they start to act like a diva. I love Wendy Beharry's um, Twitter handle, Dawns and Divas. Right, um, right. The moment that they act, you know, like I'll give an example. And I think I said this on another show and I'm, I apologize. But, you know, we work with so many successful people. OK, and success to me means something very different than like what Western society calls success. But we we work with both. So there could be um, a guy in a fishing village that has no money, and yet he is, I would consider, a successful person because he has love, he has food to eat, he's respected, um, he, you know, whatever, he's content in his life and he does wonderful things for others. That's success. And then there's also success like Dr. Paul Meyer, perfect example, written many (laughs) New York Times bestselling books business owner, confident, um, you know, just, he know he is a successful man. And we interview many of those people. And I can tell you the amount of times that we deal with any person like that, overly critiquing the shows that we do with them, things that we write about them as we're supporting what they do. It's almost like 1%. Is anyone like that ever a diva or a don it's usually sometimes it is people like that okay but most of the time it really really isn't you know who does that the most very very insecure people very weak people who are trying to climb that ladder of success it continues to elude them and they their entitlement that they manifest is really a form of self-sabotage and it's also a form of weakness. It's a form of their covert narcissism and they are the ones that usually end up complaining the most about how you represent them or how you're helping them or 
that people aren't paying enough attention to them and they aren't getting their due. You know, they're the biggest complainers about that kind of thing. And you sit back and you're like, okay, <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, don't know I know. If I'm you explaining know. that well, Melanie. No, you are. good intentions i heat up and act on my emotions thanks so much for listening to mental health news radio our podcast can be found on itunes stitcher and hundreds of other podcast apps or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com if you have a question or would like to be a guest become a podcaster on our network or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it. Good boy.